Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Matt Burren, Vice President of Sales and CX Operations at Bombora, the leading provider of intent data for B2B sales and marketing. Matt is an experienced SaaS revenue operations and sales development leader. Before his promotion to Vice President of Sales and CX Operations in May, he was the Senior Director of Go-To-Market Operations. Prior to Bambora, he worked in sales and revenue growth at Sheer ID. On this episode, Matt talks about why you should do everything you can to avoid department silos, the importance of being prescriptive rather than reactive, and his secret sauce for success in RevOps. But first, a brief word from our sponsor, Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com. Please enjoy this interview with Matt Burren, Vice President of Sales and CX Operations at Bombora, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a special guest, Matt, how are you? I'm doing good, Ian, how you doing? Excited to have you on the show, excited to chat RevOps or perhaps some other terms that uh, that we will talk about later in the show and all the cool stuff that you are doing at, at Bombora. So let's get into it. What does Bombora do and who do you sell to? Yeah, so we are in the intent data space. We essentially are helping sales and marketing teams align on what companies may be in the market for their solutions or their competitors. So we help you sell to who wants to buy you a lot faster. And you have a new role. So tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I am uh, the VP of sales and CX operations for Bombora. My team supports all three of our business units, our agency business, our publisher and co-op business, as well as our direct sales units and everything, reporting and dashboarding, tools and systems. If it touches Salesforce, you know, we're gonna be involved. If it's part of the tech stack, we're gonna be involved. And then um, one big thing that we're pushing now is you know, scalability and repeatability, sales process, renewal process, things of that nature. And, uh, and how, how big is the team? How big is the, uh, is the company? Yeah, so we're just under 250 employees. In our ops team, we've got five, so that's myself a dedicated CX operations person. It's actually a former CSM that's been invaluable in helping us design some of those processes. We have a full-time analyst and then a full-time systems admin that supports all of our systems that touch Salesforce. And then we have an admin that's kind of, uh, I jokingly call her the puppet master occasionally, because if it's coming into Salesforce or it's data being ingested, it's going to come through her. And do you feel like RevOps is, is unique in your organization? How does it compare to other RevOps teams, do you think? Yeah, you know, I think you see a couple different schools of thought, right? Where you can just slap a RevOps title on everyone in ops and hope that that leader knows sales and marketing. You know, when I came into Bombora, we had RevOps titles, but they were very focused, right? Where I think some of our RevOps folks were marketing specific, some were sales specific, and then you had a couple, I think, that were kind of in between. So, you know, what we've learned from our uniqueness is we don't necessarily need to be, it's not about reporting line, it's not about title, it's how do sales and marketing need to interact and how can we improve those processes, the data management and hygiene 
you know, processes and tools like outreach, where maybe that's not somewhere where marketing lives, but we can be taking some of our marketing strategy and building it into those tools to help that alignment between sales and marketing. So I think for us, it was unique and we had the titles, but we didn't quite do RevOps where today, you know, myself and my counterpart, shout out to Dave Kennedy, um, who's our VP of Marketing Ops, where he and I work side by side and making sure that when we're addressing problems that are going to you know, be cross-functional, that we're doing that together and not in silos. And so tell me what it was like coming into this role for you. What, what were those first 90 days like? Yeah, uh, fire drill, for sure. Of course. You know, I think uh, I was lucky enough. You know, I started here as an SDR leader. I've got an operational background. You know, I started at a company when we were about 30 large. You know, we scaled to about 220 by the time I left. You know, so I've learned how to build tech stacks. I've learned the inner workings of how that communicates with marketing platforms like Marketo and HubSpot. So I had a unique view of where I had been through it before. And we had an opening with our sales ops leader leaving for another opportunity. So it became more about how can I be beneficial to the company outside of just my current role. So a lot of it was really just digging in what aren't we doing today that we have to be doing. It's looking at the table stakes, forecasting you know, opportunity management? Do we have the right sales stages? And that was kind of where we started was really ground up of taking a step back and saying, just because we have been doing it a certain way, doesn't mean we should be. That might've been the right the right option at the right time. But I think that we needed to iterate on quite a bit of stuff. So a lot of it was really that 30,000 foot view of taking a step back. What do we have today that we're good with? What are we missing? And then what do we have today where we think we can improve upon it and then prioritizing from there? We're going to get into all that here in our next couple segments. So let's get to our first segment, Rev Obstacles. Obstacle, obstacle. An obstacle to what? There's your obstacle. Where we talk about the tough parts of RevOps. What's the hardest RevOps problem that, that you faced maybe in those first 90 days or, or in the past six months? It's just a, a, like for me so far in my career, it's been alignment, right? Where it eventually comes through, but you have an executive team that maybe hasn't been used to, you know, a very high level of operations, right? Or maybe the process hasn't mattered as long as you got to the number where I think it's trying to get, you know, trying to build a business case for executives to show the value of what a true focused operational unit can do for, especially for a growing business like Bombora is, where you know it's hard to get budget for your RevOps, be it your tech stack, be it headcount. You have to invest in that stuff to help your business become more predictable so you can balance those budgets better, right? Where if you know, if we have this process and on a given quarter, you know, taking, we have X seasonality, we have Y headcount to hit the number, that you can put all of that together and be able to make sure that you're meeting those budgets where you're not having to readjust quarter by quarter, right? And really flying by the seat of your pants. You can do all that planning in October, November, December and feel confident in that operating plan in that, you know, the your plan to generate leads, how much pipeline each of your reps needs to hit their number and really what the company needs to do to hit a given operating plan. You can be a lot more prescriptive in that rather than being reactive to the things that are popping up, you know, every day where you get these small requests where you're like, oh, yeah, we can fix that. When you're looking at fixing it, it's all of a sudden like, well, we don't have these three processes to even like 
hold like have data hygiene on this field you're asking us to create so we've got to create a process around it we have to train and enable on it and i think that the more focus you put into operations the better you're able to address that rather than making it up as you go how do you balance supporting sales marketing and and cx or customer success the calm app's really good for meditation uh, <laughs> <laughs> um you know a lot of it is just like over communicate right i think it's there's a lot of Zoom burnout. You know, there's a lot of unnecessary, you know, I'm sure everyone working from home knows, there's a lot of unnecessary meetings that were a lot more necessary when you were in an office. So I think a lot of it is, how can you better collaborate? How do you turn some of those meetings into working sessions where, you know, I've seen, you know, my team does a phenomenal job of this where it's, okay, let's talk through the business problem you're trying to solve. Don't give us the solution you want us to build. Let's talk through how we can do that. And I think it's just, it's communication. I know it's it's way more simple. It sounds most more simple than it is, but over communicating, making sure that you're staying on top of not just creating the process and rolling it out, but is it measuring what you thought it would? Is, it be, is that process being enforced? I think if you don't have that cross-functional buy-in, it can create silos where ops is just creating process for a sales leader that's asking for it, but that sales leader is not enforcing that process. So it's work for the sake of work, where if you have a really tight unit between, you know, sales, marketing, ops, even finance for that matter, if you can work as a unit, the amount of stuff you can get done and plan for becomes a, a heck of a lot more broad than just saying, hey, here's the number we need to hit. Here's your budget. Go figure it out. What's your biggest rev oops that you've made mistake in the past year? Uh, I tend to course correct way too far on one one side or the other. I can think of, you know, we've moved towards a a shared goal where it's not necessarily, is it inbound? Is it outbound? It's, do we have enough pipeline and deals for our team to hit the mark? And my biggest oops was, I didn't think through some of the downstream effects of how's that going to affect tracking? How do we still measure SDR efficacy? How do we manage like what the AEs are doing from an outbound perspective? Is that impacting the pipeline? And I think it's just these new grand ideas that you hear them all the time in RevOps, right? I feel like it's every six months, there's a new big idea that companies are following this and it's helping alignment. And I think it's hearing that big idea and wanting to pounce on it, but not necessarily talking about your org and thinking through all the downstream effects that changing that type of view can really have on, on a company. Luckily, we were able to pivot on it, but there was a good three months there where I don't think you could really trust that source reporting. It's because that just wasn't in our minds because we were trying to move away from that where it's not you know your sales and marketing team doing this. It's more about how are we going to arrive at the goal? But the efficacy piece kind of suffers um, when you don't think of all those downstream effects. Yeah. Was, what would be your advice to 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 someone who is listening, how to rev ops, uh, how to sort of avoid that that sort of thing? I found it's that taking a step back, right? It's, okay, if we do this, what is going to touch this process? So if it's, if it's source, and you know that's an, an opportunity, and you're measuring when you're you know, you're grouping the data by okay, where are all where are all of our opportunities being sourced? Then you know okay, so the executives are going to want to see this from a team by team breakdown. You're going to want to see SDR payback here, and so I think it's just really talking out loud. Whiteboarding for me has always been a huge help, and just document out you know out loud or on that whiteboard what are all of the things downstream of this change 
that could even potentially be affected. And then you start to process of elimination of, okay, well, if we handle it, you know, on, on this singular piece, then it makes a couple of these other downstream pieces go away because we're handling it at the top. But I think you got, I think in my experience, people don't take into account how granular of a problem even one small change can make, especially with how much automation exists between tools and systems these days. So I think it's really like back to the over-communication. It's out loud, brainstorm everything you possibly think that change is going to touch with all of their cross-functional owners and then try to arrive. I mean, are you always going to get it? No. If we got it right every time, there'd probably be a lot less of us, right? Because the <laughs> yeah, business that's right. could just run itself. But I think it's it's striving for that perfection of just always making sure that you leave no stone unturned and then making sure that you're bringing in anyone that you think from a business leader standpoint is going to be a recipient or that's going to be negatively affected by that change. All right, let's get to our next segment, the tool shed. Hey, hey Brandon? Michael, want to do me and mom a favor? Get off that shed. This is my favorite place. <laughs> the tool shed. Get off the shed! We're talking tools, spreadsheets, metrics, just like everyone's favorite tool, Qualified. No B2B tool shed is complete without Qualified. Go to qualified.com right now and check them out. Matt, what is in your tool shed what's the software you're using what are the dashboards where are you spend the most of your time yeah so qualified new customer but i will give them credit where credit is due i have never had a tool launch without a huge hiccup like we have we launched last week it's been live it's phenomenal it's everything that i thought it would be so massive shout out i'm not getting paid for that comment by the way um, <laughs> hey now <laughs> but we love it we love to hear it so the big ones for us you know obviously salesforce for our crm we use hubspot for our marketing for marketing outbound we've got some really cool process between salesforce and hubspot where we're actually ingesting bombora data and building scores so we've got three different main scores that we use an account score an intent score and an engagement score that's a combination of hubspot data salesforce data and bombora's own data so obviously bombora is part of our stack because if it wasn't that'd be crazy talk sales navigator gong you know we use outreach as our sep and then, you know, we've got for the CX team, we use a tool called PlanHat that's really great that helps with lifecycle adoption, health scores, and things of that nature. That's our, I'd say, our core stack. And then Cognizum from a prospecting standpoint. Awesome. Well, let's talk metrics. What matters to you? Kind of everything, but top, top level, do we have enough pipeline to hit the operating plan? And do we know where that pipeline is coming from? Those are the big ones, right? I think it's building the executive dashboards that have... What is the top, top level metrics we care about and how can we plan accordingly for that? How do we know in a given quarter where we think we're going to land from a forecasting standpoint? I think the next level down from that is what does it matter for the teams? Do we have enough deals in the pipeline right now that each rep has enough to hit their number, right? Because when we built our lead model, we said, all right, we know what our win rates are. We know what our conversion rates are. We know what our average deal size is. So let's build our pipeline goals around that. So what most of my attention is on is typically in quarter and skip quarter forecasting. And then from a pipeline generation standpoint, do we have enough in the pipe, regardless of where it's coming from, that our AEs are set up to be able to hit that forecast? What about an example of something that happened in your pipeline 
that you noticed wasn't working? Maybe you saw metrics or maybe it's coming from leadership. How do you go about fixing it? Yeah. So early in my career, when I first started really running forecasting and understanding, taking that the best case, most likely worst case, we noticed a lot of stuff was getting stuck in one stage. But we didn't have a lot of understanding of why it was getting stuck on this stage. Like, is it how we qualify? Is it what we're telling reps to do in this stage? Because it was a guided sales motion where each stage had a path to success, essentially. And so what we found was that was just where reps were parking deals because the next stage was proposal. So they hadn't quite shared pricing, but they weren't quite ready to close the deal out and be done with it and move on to the next one. And so what the problem that created was we had a lot of dead pipeline that probably should have been wiped out, you know, quarters in advance that were just pushing out quarter over quarter. So it helped us, A, understand we need better qualification metrics in stage zero and one where, A, are the reps actually moving what's a legitimate evaluation of our product into the pipeline? And what it ended up doing was the cascading effect. We realized we were probably under-qualifying accounts. We were over-qualifying opportunities that most of which probably should have never made it to the pipeline in the first place. And it was making us look like we had a horrendous win rate in that second stage. But realistically, we were just doing a bad job qualifying those opportunities in. So it helped us rebuild those paths to success of here's some questions we suggest you asking in the qualification phase, in the discovery phase. And it helped us really draw some hard lines where SDRs to feel comfortable handing something off. Here's the type of information we want. And then using you know something like Medic, MedPick, Bant to tie your sales stages to to better influence that data. And then what we learned after that was we we're losing in proposal because we we're priced too high in the market. But we would have never caught that previously had we not stopped and said, why are all of our deals failing out in stage or stalling out or failing out in stage two? Yeah, that's super fascinating. I uh, And a really interesting insight because you had basically like the Oreo sandwich of, of either side of it were both pressing into the same stage when neither of them probably should have been in that stage to begin with. And so you're kind of like, you know, not triple reporting, but you're essentially just, you know, have it count completely wrong there. I'm curious, like, what did you, what were, what were the questions that, I don't know if you remember some of the questions that you wanted them to ask? So it was, we had one that was talking about, so the, the software was like verification software for students, teachers, they support like those programs, like Spotify student discount program, for example. So it was more about, we are asking what we wanted to know, right? Where like, what's your budget? What's, you know, how do you view, you know, a tool like this? Instead of asking the questions of like, what's your marketing spend look like this year? How do you have your promotions laid out on your on your uh, promo calendar and things where that would give us a far better signal that it's an active evaluation that we're moving appropriately through a funnel where I think some of those questions we weren't asking until we were, we were asking during the pricing phase where we started to realize we needed to ask some of that up front because we just weren't doing it. And so what was happening was we are getting people through that had an understanding of what we did that admitted that they thought that our tool could solve their problem. But that was about us. It wasn't about them. We weren't asking customer-focused questions that would help us understand, are they really going to buy something like us? Because we're an investment, right? I think we're 10x higher than our next competitor. 
And so we needed to be able to build that business case. And where I saw us fall down a lot was early. And luckily we were able to catch it. But you know, I think that it, it'd be easy to just say, well, we lose most of our deals in stage two and then be done with it, move on and, and to the next thing, right? And I think that was the first time in my career where I realized there's always more to the story than what the data is telling you. And it's about figuring out the narrative behind it and using that narrative to help you inform change. Yeah, and I think that a great a great RevOps leader may or may not have a great VP of sales, right? That is like being able to dig in and figure that stuff out and to say like, oh, hey, and, and it's easy for the rep to just say, hey, it's pricing, right? Unresponsive is my favorite one. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's exactly right. And it's like, and then you, you know, you have the, the abandoned deal and you're like, man, we abandon, we can no response, abandon all this stuff. And yeah, maybe, like you said, maybe it is pricing as the root cause of that, but it's also, it's being set up poorly from the jump street because they're like, yeah, I would love to have a Maserati, but you know, like they're going to test drive the Maserati and they're going to, you know, check it all out. But at the end of the day, like they never even identified that they, you know, had Maserati money, even though they have a, I don't know, a need for speed. Yeah. I think there's plenty of tools out there that have really big price tags on them, but they add value to your company. It's just all about where your company is. Right. And if you can't help your sales team understand why they're losing deals, then it, then you just keep going back to, well, here's all of our here's all of our closed loss reason codes. I don't know why this isn't telling us what we're doing. And I think it's trying to be more prescriptive. And there's a fine balance of being reactive to the fire drills and then being proactive with us with the sales leader, whether they're you know operationally savvy or not. It's helping them understand what you could be doing better, and then like letting them help you make the decision of okay, here's our suggestions of what we could do, but are they are they going to enforce all of that with their team because the work that a lot of ops teams put into building process ends up leaving a bad taste in their mouths. And why I think sometimes you see like an AE go at odds with it, with a sales ops team of you're not helping each other, right? Ops is saying, put in this data, but that's all you're getting. It's not, Hey, if you put in this data and we can keep it clean, here are the insights that we can give you to help you close more deals. Right. And I think it's just that small piece of, it, miscommunication maybe or like poor expectation setting where, hey, we need you to put this data in, but there's no rationale behind it. We just need you to do it versus, hey, if we do this, here's the end result that we can provide to you. And I found in my career so far, that's been a big, that's been a big differentiating factor for me. Yeah. And it, and it identifies, and I think that the rep never understands the like, hey, if, if you put this in there and then we learn a bunch of stuff about this stage. And then we learn that, okay, it turns out because of the fact that we've been able to categorize this for six months as this, we need to actually build a whole nother piece of content around this topic, or we need to, you know, create, you know, whatever it is, additional sales assets or, you know, create another deck or, oh, it turns out we're losing to this one competitor a bunch. Like you don't realize we're losing to this competitor a bunch because you don't see the whole field and they never mentioned this competitor. But from all the activity on the website that we're seeing, you know, we put a link up there that said, you know, us versus them. And 
everybody in this stage of conversation seems like they're clicking on this. Like there's so many different third and fourth order effects that the rep doesn't necessarily see there. It creates work on the, on the back end that can go back and, and solve the problem for all the reps. Yeah. And I think it's just helping them understand what's in it for me, right? Like we're, we're only human. Like it can't just be, oh, we're mandating this and you need to do it. I think it's being able to work with everybody and say, here's why we need to do it. And if you still arrive with a sales leader that, hey, that's not important, then, you know, sometimes as an ops leader, you're just going to have to defer to that person. You know, I think I have a bad habit of like, but here's where we could be, right? Where I think sometimes it's trying to balance the where you could be, but where you need to be today. And I think that's where I think a lot of communication breakdowns end up happening is, you focus on where you could be or you need to be, but you're not focused on shoring up where you are today and where you can take those incremental steps to really help everyone buy in to changing a process or requiring specific fields get filled out before you can move to the next stage and things of that nature. It also gives you a little bit more ammo when a bunch of people are asking for something and to say, hey, I know that this is something that you keep coming in contact with you're the only rep who keeps in coming in contact with with this. Nobody else complains of this. That's, you know, et cetera. And so like we can figure out a way to help you in particular with this one problem, but like this one might kind of be a you thing, <laughs> like a one-on-one coaching thing, not necessarily like a systemic thing. Yeah, I think, you know, we like one thing that I've seen in my career is using Gong for something like that, right? Where Gong's got a lot of really great like rep coaching tools, where it's trying to enable your sales leadership team to where, hey, you're going to have to take time out of your day to do it, but here's where you can find this stuff. And here's the type of things that we can do with that data. And then, you know, being able to roll that up to a product marketing team for product requests or product feedback, being able to see like, is a rep monologuing too often? And maybe that's where it's falling down. Like there's just so many insights that you can gather from how complex these tech stacks are today, where, a sales leader is not going to do the homework themselves. Like they don't have time. They've got a big number over their head. They got to go hit. Right. And I think that's where ops can come in of you're already paying for the tool, work with your CSM, work with your account manager on how you could better leverage that tool and then provide those trainings for the reps, for the, for, you know, for even the execs to some extent of help everyone buy in and, and understand what you're getting out of that part of your stack to be able to change behavior and drive and drive those improvements at really any step of the process, not even necessarily just opportunity management. All right, let's talk spreadsheets. You have a favorite. You know, I've got to say, it's usually my joking favorite is every time I forget to include object ID from Salesforce and I need to create fancy V lookup for it. But I think the best one that I've seen is in lieu of like a Clary or like an Insight Squared forecasting spreadsheets because Salesforce is not a great, as I'm sure everyone knows, is not great at moment in time snapshots. So it's taking your forecast every time you present it. You know, for us, we're trying to build a forecasting schedule around that and being able to timestamp in that spreadsheet. Okay, when we pulled it this week of the quarter, here's where we stood. And then being able to use those snapshots in time to see how A, we've progressed, and then B, measure forecasting accuracy. Because, I mean, how many, I mean, I've only been at two companies in SaaS, but that was huge, right? Where, hey, we want to be like, we even had it, if I remember correctly, leadership got bonused on being within a certain amount of that forecasting accuracy, right? 
And you can't do that in a lot of systems unless you're you know pretty advanced and using something like Clary. So that's probably my favorite spreadsheet because it saves me time and helps me understand data trends without having to worry about manipulating data within a system that that system can't necessarily handle. Do you have something, uh, whether it's a tool or, or otherwise, that you can't live without? I think it's gone. I mean, it's it, it's starting to you know to tread into the forecasting area, right? I mean, Salesforce is the easy answer, but with Gong, they're starting to come up with like data points where, hey, when you have this many contacts in an opportunity, you close them X amount more, right? That's not a data point that's gonna roll off the top of my head or an analyst's head, right? Because we're in that fire drill. We're in the reactive mode of all of the requests you're trying to do, where Gong just gives that to you in, in its insights piece. And I think we're so busy worried about all this tech that's out there that can, that can do this thing, this one thing really well, where we're not focusing on all of the things where Gong outwardly is call recording, right? But there's forecasting elements. There's, hey, this is slated to close this quarter and you don't have a call booked for the next three weeks. Like, explain to me why you still think it's going to get done where I don't think we could do forecasting without it in the way that we do it today. And then rep coaching, I mean, building trackers, the fact that you can add those anytime, looking for product feedback, a lot of what we're trying to evolve into is going to revolve around having that stuff in Gong and making it actionable material coming out of what we learn in those conversations. Do you have a uh, any other tip, whether it's spreadsheets or anything that you're doing with data or any piece of advice around, uh, around those those pieces? I think from a data standpoint, account scoring is one I've seen that's like a, it's a, always a moving target where I don't think I've seen people give enough time to a model that they build. So I think the big tip I would give is work really closely with whoever is managing your marketing platform, be it Marketo, HubSpot, you know, ActOn, doesn't matter what it is. Like there's got to be an element of scoring model that's coming from all of your different systems and a marketing leader that's in charge of that tool isn't going to have all of that information at the tip of their fingers. Neither is a, neither is a sales ops or a rev ops leader, right? And you have to have all of the people involved that that data is going to influence to make sure you're building the scoring correctly. You know, I mean, there's people out there saying MQLs are dead. Like, I wouldn't say they're dead. I would just say it's time to look at them in a completely different manner. Like one thing that we're working on here is account-based SLAs. So it's not one person, but hey, this account has shown interest. Have we started outreach to them, right? Where, you know, that's an easy mechanism to tell your sales team, hey, here's everyone that's showing a high level of intent. Here's who we should prioritize. And, you know, we wouldn't have that here, you know, without a really strong marketing ops team that was able to build that scoring in association with the sales team. And we look at it, you know, we've got a meeting on Friday where, it's been a while since we looked at that in our target account definition and just continuing to iterate on that kind of stuff, I think would probably be the biggest tip for me. Never be scared. You're never going to get it perfect the first time. Like, always be ready to iterate. Let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. Quick. Quick. Quick questions and quick answers. Number one. If you could make any animal really big or really small, what would you choose? Ooh, I think tiny hippos would be rad. Like tiny domesticated hippos. 
uh, would be really cool. How how tiny are we talking? Are we talking like hamster? Like corgi-sized hippos. Corgi, okay. Yeah. Are they, do they still have the hippos mean temperament or are we, are they, are they docile? I mean, corgis are pretty mean too. So let's give them the same, te- let, yeah, let's, let, they're uh, corgi temperament. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Well, corgi was, attitude and a hippo's body. <laughs> I was like that, that uh, hippos can like eat a watermelon. I feel like it's very satisfying watching that, but maybe this, you could throw them like an orange or something. Yeah. I mean, Sam, you probably even see what they could do to a watermelon at that size. Who knows? That's true. Um, do you have a uh, top three dinner party guests? Ooh, George Carlin, FDR, and Dane Cook. And where I'm coming from on Dane Cook is, I just want to know what happened. He made a lot of money. <laughs> I think it's hard. I have very fond childhood memories of Dane Cook, and then he just disappeared. I'm like, for some reason, that's my like unsolved mystery in the back of my head is what happened to Dane Cook? Yeah, it's a great question. I think he, I think he probably made a ton of money and, uh, and probably the inspiration to be really funny, uh, probably subsides a little bit when you, when you make a bunch. But could you imagine the conversation between FDR and George Carlin? Like just the absolute gold that that would be. Dane Cook's standing there like, I was in a movie with Jessica Alba. Um, all right. Rom-coms, am I right? Right. Do you have a, a biggest RevOps misconception? That we just take requests. I think it's very easy to step into an org and say, my team needs to do this. Here, RevOps, here's the bullet by bullet list of what you need to do. Go implement this. I think that's probably the biggest one of all of that should be a conversation, even as small as out of field. You want to understand, like I mentioned earlier, what are we trying to accomplish here, right? Because if I had a nickel for every time I've seen us create a field in my career where six months later, no one was using it or enforcing the data being in that field, I would probably not even need to work again. Like, it's crazy. So I think it's anyone that's not in RevOps needs to understand it's a conversation. Like, RevOps should be a partner. They're not someone that's just knocking out your to-do list. Okay, last question. Best advice for someone who just came into a role as head of RevOps, what, what's your piece of advice? I mean, just talk with everybody. Don't make changes until you learn more about the business. Take stock of your system and your tech stack. It's really, it's like what I mentioned at the top of the, uh, at, you know, at the top of the conversation. Take a step back. Ask what's working, what's not working. Interview everyone you can. Now, combing through that information is going to be a lot, but I think you got to hear it from the reps. You got to hear it from the lead, from the leadership team. You got to hear it from the executives. You know, you got to understand how is each person's day effective positively or negatively by what your RevOps team should be doing. And that can help you figure out at the end of the day, our job in RevOps, make everyone look like the hero, surface the great work that everybody is doing and help the executives understand, yes, we are on pace to hit our number. No, we're not. Because then that leaves, you know, the one-to-one meetings where them meeting with sales leaders, where you're getting bugged every day of where we are in the forecast. What's our most likely? Where do we think we're going to land? If you can work with sales leaders to be able to roll that data up, it saves a lot of people a lot of time. And you help make the people look like heroes and get the credit where the credit's due, rather than worrying about how you're going to figure out who should get credit. Matt been fantastic chatting with you thank you for all the insights 
I really appreciate it. For our listeners, you can go to bumboro.com to learn more. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, no, just I'm glad you guys are doing this. I think we need more podcasts out here about RevOps. It's it's good to see RevOps finally getting its due. And uh, I hope everyone starts to you know jump on the bandwagon and realize it's really the backbone of any of these successful orgs out there. I love it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.